everybody. Welcome to Listen Money Matters, a trick is something a whore does for money or candy. My name is Matt, and I'm here, as always, with Andrew. Andrew, how are you, and what are you drinking? You know, I, I've watched a lot of Law & Order, <laughs> but I never knew that payment was in the form of candy. Well, you, that is an interesting thing you, that I will now apply to my life. And you think that's from Law & Order? <laughs> no, I, I just didn't know that whores accepted payment in candy. Well... <laughs> <laughs> do, do, do you even know where that's from? <laughs> I, I don't. I have no idea. Arrested Development. Ah, damn it! I, you, I, that should be my first. It's guess. literally the first episode. It, it may be uh, like the fifth line spoken in the whole show. It was like it was like eight years ago. I, I can't remember. Oh that my thing. god. Anyways, yeah. I, I am still. I'm still drinking. It's like a week worth of me drinking the. Uh, well, it the seems pumpkin, like it. Yeah. Pumpkin patch ale, Rogue Farms. It is damn good. The the guy at Sparrows did me right. Uh, you know. <laughs> and gave you a good beer too. Yeah, both. I mean, it was it was a great lay. Count it. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Pump King was amazing. This yeah. is equally amazing. I don't. I wouldn't say better, but it's equally good. Yeah, I've had it in the, in the past, and uh, I wish I was drinking it right now. But I am. Uh, I have water. See, so. I don't understand. We mm-hmm. we had beer people hand deliver you beer, and you're still drinking water. Okay, so the guy. You know, went to my parents' house and hand delivered a giant thirty-two ounce can of beer, and it's gone. I drank it today. Well, I, I think listeners should complain to you on Twitter, not well, email. Or okay, either wanna... they can complain or send me more beer so I have stuff to drink. Huh? That's huh? true. Okay, so huh? I think you should send Matt beer. <laughs> but if you send Matt beer, send me some too because I'll be no, jealous. No, no, you have sparrows. You have the guy who lays you in the in the in the showroom. <laughs> yeah, we have a special bond. Yeah. He did you right. Real right. <laughs> you know it. Anyway, today's catchphrase is a trick a is a trick is a fuck. All right. Today's catchphrase is a trick is something a whore does for money or candy, which is uh, a line from Joe Bluth from Arrested Development. And if you guys have catchphrases like those, please send in Arrested Development catchphrases cuz I love them so much. And you can send them into our Twitter account which is at money matters man and let's stop Jibba jabbering on the uh, beer shit, and let's talk to our guest today because uh, we have a guest, and her name is Stephanie Halligan, and she's uh, she has a website called EmpoweredDollar.com. The Empowered Dollar. Stephanie, how are you today? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Uh, I'm sober. Andrew, I'm I'm, I'm very full with pasta. <laughs> so you're ha- so you're completely <laughs> shit faced. <laughs> exactly. I have bolognese coming out of my ears. Oh. I have. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> what a mental image. <laughs> I, right. Sorry, Stephanie. That's all right. Yeah. So, all right, uh, Stephanie, you have a pretty awesome story, and uh, I've heard it. Uh, we've known each other. We met at FinCon. We met Andrew at FinCon as well. I just want to say that she she kind of handed us our our award that we won you, at FinCon. Not only kind of, but literally handed us the award for best new blog because she won it the year before. That's True. right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's such a great great documented moment. Yep. Passing on the torch. Yep. <laughs> it's on camera. It's on video. It's on uh, TiVo. You guys, you guys deserved it. Oh well, no. Thank you. Aww. You deserved it the year before. I'm blushing. Look, go. All right. If anyone's curious and you are near a computer, go to empowereddollar.com and just check it out. Because Stephanie teaches personal finance with cartoons, like with comics, like hand-drawn comics. Like us, she does it very differently in that not like everyone else. Yes. 
Yeah, I take so, yeah, I take great pride in that. I'm glad I'm in good company. Yeah, yeah. we we're we're both the best new blogs. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time someone told us that we're good company. Yeah, <laughs> they're usually like, when are they gonna leave? <laughs> He's got bolognese coming out of his ears. <laughs> it's super strange. Anyway, let's. <laughs> I want to talk about because all right, you have a pretty awesome story about getting rid of debt and. Uh, it's getting rid of student loan debt to be specific. Now, you, where did you go to school? Uh, so I, I went to school at Boston University, um, a really expensive private school, obviously in Boston. Um, and I ended up there pretty randomly just because uh, I, I followed my friend's advice who all said, this is a really easy application. Why don't you check out Boston? Um, and I grew up in Seattle, so I wanted to get far away from home and try something new. And that's essentially how I ended up at BU. And really only because the application process was easy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was one of those schools that was part of the Common App. If you fill out the form, you you pretty much get to apply to the school if you pay $60. And that's essentially how I picked my college. (laughs) Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, see, I'm confused because isn't Boston like super prestigious? I thought it was like uh, like a top tier. I don't know the tiers, but I thought it was up there. Ivy League? It, it's no. not Ivy League. It's maybe it's on some tier. I think it's on the really expensive tier. Uh, I don't know how like prestigious wise. Maybe if I got like a degree in biology or something, there's some like Nobel Prize winners in that department. But uh, I just decided to to go to a school that was far away and uh, <laughs> and one that my friends were going to apply to as well. All right. So you wanted <laughs> to go to school with your friends? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. And did you? What did you go to school for? Um, I went to school for international relations. I think I changed my major six times. One, no I was, shit. Yeah, wow. I was a, uh, my gosh, I was Latin American studies and then I was music and then I was uh, English and then I landed on IR because I wanted to study abroad. So What's you, I, Oh, international yeah. relations. Yeah. So you can kind of see my pattern of choices when it came to college was I am just going to do what I think might make sense and see if that works out. And um, yeah, I didn't really have a plan when I went so, to school. So if, if you study English in college, is that like the kids who speak Spanish at home taking Spanish in high school? <laughs> right. Or like English literature. <laughs> yeah, I like English liter- literature. I, uh, I wasn't a very good writer either, so it was kind of partly helping me become a better writer too. All right. What if, all right, so you mentioned music. What did, what did you study in music? Like music oh, composition? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, that was like a semester where I was a dedicated music major. Um, one and, semester, that's it. Yeah. One semester, I was really into it. Uh, and I thought I thought I was going to be a music teacher or something. And so I did like ear training where you um, basically someone plays something on the piano and you're supposed to be able to notate uh, it. Yeah. Uh, I played tuba in at BU. So that was pretty cool. That got me some really good cool points with uh with the college kids um so i marched tuba and i thought i don't know i thought i was going to be a music teacher and then changed my mind again all right all so right. you you went through all this stuff you graduated right that's right you have a degree in international studies uh-huh um i want to know about the like who paid for this yeah well i guess that was part of the process of me deciding what school to go to um i I'm the first person in my family to go to college. And so deciding what school to go to was just, you know, a haphazard choice. And, and 
my parents didn't have any savings for college. So I basically picked a school that, that had given me a financial aid package that covered everything. Um, but part of that financial aid package included student loans. I just really didn't understand that until after graduation. So I got scholarships. I got outside scholarships too. Um, I got some grants. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. Um, and, but then, you know, I was just worried about what I had to pay out of pocket in the moment for each semester. And it was low enough that I didn't feel like I had to worry, but then come graduation realized that it, um, I had taken out a lot of loans of, to the tune of like $30,000 and really had no idea how that happened. And how long did it take you to pay it off? Four years. How'd you do that? <laughs> <laughs> so I graduated with all of this debt. Um, yeah, you know, I got a job right when the recession hit or yeah, I had an internship and I was making minimum wage and I was really just kind of struggling to figure out what the hell happened. Like, how did I get into so much debt and why am I not earning money and what am I going to do with a degree in international relations? Um, and at the time I, I, you know, I had this internship and they, they asked me if I wanted to start teaching financial education classes at the refugee center. So basically people who are just coming into the country for the first time and learning how the banking system worked. Is this in, uh, um, Boston? In Boston. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I, you know, you know, they said basically do some research, you know, teach them how credit cards work and, and you're, you'll be good to go. And so I started teaching those classes and then I would just, you know, come home at night and be like, well, what the hell is going on with my own money? Why is this not adding up? I have so much debt. I don't know how that happened. I'm barely earning anything. Like something has to change here. So, um, I think at that point I just, I was really, really passionate about figuring out how to fix my own money and helping other people do the same that I, I just kind of made it a personal mission of mine to wipe out this debt as quickly as possible. Um, and I just, I did a whole combination of things to make that happen. Um, just working on the side, right. Negotiating whenever I got the chance, you know, my salary, my starting salary, my job salary, um, you know, I think really prioritizing debt is something that I wanted to get rid of as soon as possible and, and really scrimping and saving everywhere else in my life. And then and being really public about it and making sure that people held me accountable to pay it off. So, right. so I want to ask about each of those little things you mentioned. So uh, you yeah, all right, so you basically you prioritize your debt. That, I think that's, that's like important to do. Yeah. Right. So once you prioritize it, you know, that's your goal, that's your focus. Uh, what was the first thing you did to, to start working towards that goal? Like, was it, was it just, uh, taking your entire life, reevaluating it, finding where you could cut spending? Yeah, I think, um, so I, you know, I think a lot of people experience this right when they graduate from college and you get your first real like adult paycheck, um, which is like a huge sense of lifestyle inflation and not not understanding how far you can take it. And I think wanting to spend and experience life in a way you didn't after college. Um, And so for me, I realized really quickly, like I want to get rid of this student debt so badly that I, you know, I can't use my money for everything, but that's one of my top three things. And then I picked some other, you know, two other financial priorities I had. And for me at the time was, um, eating healthy food. So like good grocery shopping and traveling to the West coast, you know, every three or four months to go visit my family. 
And so I said, okay, I've got three, these are my top three financial priorities in life right now. Mm-hmm. Everything else I'm going to cut to shreds and I'm, and I'm not going to spend hardly any money on. So I'm not going to eat out. Um, like, you know, I'm going to take my lunch every day. I went to the library all the time for my books, you know, made coffee at home, did all the whole, you know, frugality spiel, but let myself use my money for, I think the things that really mattered and paying off debt was one of them. So I think setting the priorities was really like the first step right. in fixing my money. And then what, what happened after that? What was the second step? Um, for me, you know, I think getting motivated and starting the blog was really important just to be, I think, held publicly accountable for what I was doing and, and just surrounding myself with people who understood that this was a priority for me. So even just saying it out loud, it really made it a lot easier to go out on the weekends and be drinking, you know, soda, water and lime at a bar with friends when they knew that I wasn't going to be persuaded otherwise, because I'm trying to save right. Um, so that was important. And then, but I think for me, the biggest, the biggest win and and the, the way I was able to pay off my debt so quickly is probably one of the most overlooked personal finance strategies out there, which is negotiation, just negotiating, you know, asking for a raise at work and then negotiating your starting salary. And you guys did a fantastic episode on negotiation the other day which is just like worth its weight in gold but I I think for me I was able to negotiate a total of $13,000 over the course of a couple years that that really obviously helped me pay off my debt so much faster because of it you know I I kind of wish we would have had you on when we were talking to Dan because we mentioned a lot about women and how it was different right so uh, what were some of the negotiation things that you did? And that, now you negotiated your – you were at a job and you negotiated mm-hmm. a higher salary. Yep, that's right. Okay. How did you go about doing that? Okay. So, and, and let me ask yeah. – wait, I, I have to ask. Did you have to – did you – all right. This is going to sound bad. Did you have to research things differently because you were a woman? Yes. Okay. No, absolutely. Okay. Um, so – Okay. So I think for, so I'll, I'll talk about from like a negotiation standpoint in general, but I, there are definitely specifics as a woman that I think are really different. Um, you know, for me, I, I actually used a website, um, that was recommended to me called getraised.com. It's like $20 and it helps you, um, craft basically a, a pitch letter for why you should, should get a raise. Uh, and it helps you research similar job openings in your area, what the salary rate is. So basically what you should be asking for and what your market value is. Um, crafting like, you know, I, what your performance has been at the company and then looking toward the future, which is, you know, you being excited to continue advancing. Um, and, and I think putting you in a position that's favorable in your, in your boss's eyes. So that, for me, as like a specific tool, using that website was super helpful to help me articulate my market value, my um, kind of the performance to date, and then what my future with the company could look like. Was the company you were working for like a really big company or was small? No, business? it was like a, it was a nonprofit in the middle of the recession. Oh, and so you know, I I actually spent a lot of time talking to people about is this even possible, and and you know, I think that's one of the that's one of the scariest things about asking for more money is that, you know, the fear that 
you're you're taking away from the company or or that maybe they don't have the money for you but but they'll find every company even a nonprofit in the recession will find money to keep you if you ask for it properly and you are providing them value um so that was kind of the context and i didn't even necessarily turn in the letter but i used it in in my conversation with my supervisor it was really helpful really, really? so they like you can actually print this letter out and hand yes. it to them Oh yeah. And so I, I used it to just to make my pitch verbally. And I said to her afterwards, you know, I have, I have an actual letter if you need, you need it, or you want to pass it on to somebody else. Um, but I was able to convince her kind of through my, my points that the website helped me craft was, was enough to, to get the raise, which was great. But I think, think, sorry, oh, I was going to say from a, from a women's perspective, I think it is, and I've done a lot of research on this, and I, you know, I had my own hangups asking for money, but, um, but I think the biggest difference is that, uh, and I'm sure you guys have heard the statistic that a, a woman who is negotiating on behalf of somebody else is more likely to negotiate successfully than if she's, you know, negotiating on her own behalf. Mm-hmm. So, from a female perspective, it's it's more about relationship integrity and how do you preserve the relationship in front of you with a supervisor because relationships in the workplace, women tend to put more value on those relationships than they would, um, you know, for asking for or wanting to jeopardize that because they're asking for more money. So with that in mind, how do you frame the, um, the ask itself as a win-win relationship builder um, wanting to like honoring the relationship you guys have looking forward to like making sure the relationship continues in the future and recognizing what you guys have been through together. So coming from that angle, I mean, the, the, it's basically the nuance of wording and, and I think approaching the conversation from a place of, um, understanding that you guys are, are going to reach a compromise that you both will be happy with. It's, I think it's that psychological piece of it that's really critical when you're a woman, especially a woman negotiating with a woman supervisor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, too, I think it takes away the edge that you often hear, like, statistically from studies that, you know, a woman who's negotiating, you know, comes across, across as bitchy or demanding or something. So, um, so, yeah, I think really that relationship angle and understanding that tendency really helped me a lot in that, uh, in the negotiation process. So how much do you think of the, the success came because you're negotiating with another woman who may understand more where you're coming from, as opposed to if it was a guy on the other side of the table? I mean, do you think that you would have been able to be successful if, if it was not like you versus a guy, but you know, well, so actually after, after that job, I went to an, uh, a new job and I negotiated my starting salary there. So they offered me something and I, you know, I wanted more money. Um, and that was with the, a senior VP who was a male. And it was actually easier, in my opinion. Huh. It was, Why I do just, you think that? I think because I was giving like straight up facts and I, you know, if he was going to play hardball, I was going to play hardball. And it took a lot of the emotional context away from it. I think it also helped in that case because I hadn't, uh, you know, I didn't really have like a, a relationship history with this person yet because I hadn't started at the company. But it pulled a lot of the emotional context, relationship context that I mentioned before when I'm negotiating 
at my other job or with a female supervisor, um, it was actually, I, I felt like it was a lot easier. Um, and, and I felt less nervous doing it too. So a big part of it was just like being like ultra prepared and, and just having like, you know, in ammo so you can go guns blazing if necessary. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and so I think I probably did about 10 hours of research, um, and, and talking to a couple people, um, like people who do this professionally, just asking them for advice, um, in both situations. So 10 hours of prep time for one conversation, like that sounds like a lot, but it's pretty hardcore. Yeah. But when you think about it, like the return on that investment is ridiculous. Right. Mm. And, and do you think that because you already had a, a job and your confidence level was much higher? Uh, so I think, uh, yeah, you know, I really regret not. So the very first job I got out of college um, at that nonprofit, I did not negotiate the starting salary. I was just so desperate for. You were a, happy to a, have a job at a college. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I, you know, I kindly asked if they would pay for some of my moving expenses, and they said no. And I was huh. like, okay, I'm just happy to be here. You know. Oh wow. Um. So I think you know that was a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, which was like I'm I am asking for more money when I have the chance because right. I don't want to be. You know, I don't want to lose out on hundreds of thousands of dollars over the lifetime of my career if it meant me not having one difficult conversation. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think definitely, and that's where, you know, when it comes to paying off student debt or when it comes to um, starting your first job out of college, you just don't know any better. But, um, but it's always worth asking and it's absolutely always worth doing research you know, a few hours and practicing with somebody to just get the nerves out because it, it's so different reading something on a screen or watching a YouTube video than it is actually articulating words in front of another person that essentially translate to, I, I am asking for money, which is a really hard thing for anyone. You know, I found it really interesting that you said uh, one conversation could mean hundreds of thousands of dollars in your career because I read the study where um, literally the the first negotiation in your career like impacts the entirety of your career and the amount of money you make, and and it tells me that you you did like quite a lot of research before you you engage in this stuff. So, how deep were you into this negotiation stuff and personal finance stuff while while you were looking at jobs and you know doing this negotiation? Yeah, so I think. Um you know, I was I was still working on my own money. I, I had this pile of student loans, which is a huge incentive to ask for more money whenever you have the chance, which is to get rid of, you know, $30,000 in debt. Um, so doing my own uh, personal research. Um, and then again, it, what was what was really neat was that part of the, the career path that I had started on was around financial education. So taking my experience in those classes I taught in Boston I mean, getting a job at a nonprofit in Washington, D.C., and, and actually continuing on the financial education track. So I was comfortable with personal finance, and I, you know, I geek out on it. Whenever I've got free time, I'm reading, reading books about it and things like that. So that helped. Um, but for some reason, it's that negotiation piece feels really different than other personal finance pieces where, oh, I think cutting back on lattes or, or saving $5 a week um, is doable and it just involves me where negotiation act involves another person and asking for more money where you feel like you're, you're taking from something. Um, so it was definitely helpful to be kind of 
interested in personal finance and doing financial education work. Um, but still that negotiation piece, it's really, it's a really tricky mental hurdle to get over that, that you need to be comfortable and confident in this conversation before you enter the room. Mm -hmm. Did you take, uh, that $13,000 raise and put it all toward your student loans? Um, Pretty much. I, I mean, I made sure that, uh, you know, I didn't get it all at once. So the first sure. time I negotiated, it was a couple thousand the second time. But I was really, uh, like I mentioned before, I did not want any sort of lifestyle inflation to creep in. So um, any extra money that came my way, that was also just one of the big strategies I used to pay off my debt so quickly, which was extra money was not really treated like extra income. It was It was allocated right away. So um, I made sure that if my paycheck increased, so did my debt payments to my student loans. Or if I got a tax refund, um, half of that, at least half of that had to go towards my debt. And then the other uh, part of it was, you know, towards long-term savings or like an emergency fund. Um, and I gave myself a little bit of flexible um, flexibility with my money. You know, I had to have a little bit of fun with it. But I just, I made sure any extra money coming my way was allocated especially towards my debt. Do you think you could have paid it off faster if you would have completely shut down and did nothing but student loan? Oh, totally. Okay. And I would have been a miserable person with no <laughs> friends <Right. laughs> and, uh, and debt-free in two and a half years instead of four. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's possible. But um, yeah, you have to draw a line somewhere, I think. Okay. Does, I want to go back on the uh, blog thing for a second. Yeah. Uh, so that was your uh, – because you had mentioned that you uh, had a side hustle. Is that the that the word? Yeah. So The word, the word that I hate so much? <laughs> uh, but I mean – but it's such a good word because that's it's, – like it's hustle. It's like li you're literally no. moving back. You're busting your <laughs> ass. No. Hustle. Right. The Hustler is a movie about a pool shark. And oh, no one's seen fine. no one's seen that movie. Hustler is also what I consider a pimp to be, or somebody <laughs> who 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 like games the system, who hires whores who work for candy. Right? That okay. that exactly. Fine. So I was working a lot of hours outside of my nine to five. Okay. And um, so so essentially, you know, I got to a point I think career wise and money wise where I realized. Like my, my income, yeah, I'm asking for raises, but, but wouldn't it be great to just bring in a few extra hundred dollars a month, um, and, and really focus that on my student loans. And I was at a point where I really didn't know where my career was going. I just mm -hmm. had no idea if this isn't a theme you've already noticed. It is that I didn't really know <laughs> what I wanted to do with my life. And so I, what I started to do was just reach out to interesting companies and websites and startups and just start having conversations with them to say, Hey, what I think you're doing is interesting. I'd like to help you. I often did, you know, a couple weeks of free work. Uh, and then we can talk about what that looks like if you want to compensate me later. And it, it, one that helped me build amazing connections and really cool experience that I would not have gotten on the job and, and helped me realize things I liked and things I was interested in. But two, I started bringing in more money. So I started just doing some projects for companies or I started freelance writing for personal finance websites. But um, that that experimentation, I think, was just doubly valuable and that it, it brought me so much clarity about my career and then, you know, extra money that I could use towards my student loans. And all of this was before the empowered dollar existed. Like you were just yeah. 
out there kind of seeing what would stick. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then deciding to that I wanted to put my voice out there a little bit more and find a way to make money online through my own website. Um, so after I was going to say hustling, but after working <laughs> on the side for, you know, a couple, you know, probably like a half a year, um, I decided to launch my own personal finance website and see where I could take that on my own. Right. Now I want to get to, uh, the day you paid off your debt. Yeah. Cause I imagine that's a pretty big deal. Oh, it was, yeah, it was amazing. It was a great feeling. So kind of, I want you to kind of roll through that explanation. Like, how does that feel? Like, I think there's an importance to the psychological win of, of being in that position. Yeah. yeah I mean, psychologically, too, I, uh, you know, the, the closer I got to paying off my debt, the, I think, the more momentum I got in other places in my life. I really could just see the finish line of becoming debt-free and and realizing that the hundreds of dollars I was paying each month to these loans would disappear, I just felt like the options in my life would open up dramatically. And they did. I mean, it, it was because I was debt-free that I was able to, you know, end up quitting a job that I wasn't too happy about and start my own business after that. But for me, the momentum um, and you know, I use like the, the debt snowball technique of paying off the lowest balance first on my loan so that I could feel like I was actually making progress on them. Um, but there was just so much energy behind that, that when the day finally came, it was just, it was a huge, it was a huge moment for me. It was just, it, it felt like I had so many options in the world, but I also think I had built it up so much that I hadn't had, I didn't make a plan for what happens after you pay off your debt. Mm. And I was kind of left there thinking, okay, what now? Because I've been, I've been growing my net worth extremely aggressively by paying off all this debt that I need to figure out a way to make sure that I keep up that kind of momentum and start investing, I guess, is the other side of paying off debt. Um, so, so for me, it was, it was a moment of just like amazing celebration. It took four years and a shit ton of money to get there, but also I was a little, taken aback because I built this this blog too on the side that was really dedicated to chronicling my student debt journey uh and then I was done and I was like okay what next what do I what's the next evolution of my money after this so mm-hmm. that took a little bit of getting used to I, I just I find it uh I guess ironic that you went from you had this this money you had this debt that you had to pay off for a student loan for a college degree that now you don't even need right right and how do you how do you how do you deal with that? <laughs> like I'm like yeah, obviously you wouldn't be where you were, where you are now if it oh, wasn't yeah. for it, right? So like the the lineage of it, you needed it, but now it's like oh shit. <laughs> I yeah no it's oh yeah the irony kills me sometimes, which is like I feel so incredibly oddly grateful for my student loans because I would not have gotten into personal finance because of it. I wouldn't have started my website. I would not even be in this industry. Um, so in that sense, you know, it's character forming or whatever, but, uh, but, but now my life is really dedicated to making sure people don't get in that mess. Mm -hmm. Um, because there were infinitely smarter ways I could have paid for college or infinitely cheaper colleges I could have gone to, or even not go to college. I'm happy I went again. It's all formative. It was, I wouldn't change it for the world, but, um, 
but damn it, $30,000 is a lot of money. And I wish I had that right now. <laughs> right, right. I, I just want to, and I want to go back on one thing that you mentioned was when you, you had gotten your raises, right? You were making what you were making yep. and you're like, I'm, I need to make extra money, right? So you picked up the phone and called places, that or e- emailed email okay folks, doesn't yeah. matter you 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 physically or, or or digitally contacted people and what were you i like i want to know what you thought in your head was your skill set that you could offer these companies and i want to know if there's a way that like cuz i cuz to me that seems like a bolder move than asking for a raise really I, yeah i think so um, like i know actually, it's i agree on that i i, I think, think it's yeah, it's out ner- of your comfort zone. Yeah, it's ner- it's nerve wracking to go to your boss and say, "Can I have more money?" But to me, I'd be like, "I'd be it'd be really ballsy to go to somebody you've never met before and say, like, pay me to do something for you." No. Yeah. Well, I guess when you put it that way, yeah, no, that was pretty ballsy. Right. So, um, what I was doing was. I was looking into areas that I was interested in, and so that happened to be like personal finance websites, uh, financial education related companies, um, and basically anyone who I thought career wise would, uh, you know, I would have some experience that they might resonate with. Mm-hmm. So, so that was essentially my angle, which was reaching out and saying, Hey, I think you're interesting. I like what you're doing. I do X, Y, Z. I'd actually like to help you guys out even for free for a couple weeks do you want to hop on the phone? And that, again, those gave me some conversations to figure out what I wanted to do in life. And then it led to, you know, my first kind of side, uh, side gig. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I hate the word gig too. <laughs> okay, fine. So the job I had outside of my job, uh-huh. um, was a really cool company in Singapore that, uh, was designing like financial education video games for six-year-olds. And I said, hey, I do financial education work. I've never done this before, but I would do research for you guys and help you out. Um, You know, everyone needs research help. It didn't even matter if I I was in the personal finance space, but if if you are offering the chance to do, to give someone, you know, a free project, you would be surprised how many people would reply to your email if you just said, I love your company. I want to do this project for you for free. Um, and I built a really awesome relationship with them and, and then became a paid consultant for them. And I translated that experience to my, to my job after the, non, the nonprofit where I designed online financial education curriculum for high school students. So it was experiential. It was extra money. Um, but I think, the, I think leading with an offer for free work and, and just saying I love what you do when I'm kind of in this industry can open a lot of doors for you. That to me is brilliant. Like that to me, like that is, yeah, that is what people don't do. And I don't even think they know that they can do that, which I think is the, is the barrier. And it's like, look, you have a job, you, you work somewhere, you're good at something that you can offer to other people without actually leaving your current job. You can do that. You can, you know, what do they call that? Um, when you do things overnight, uh, Overnight success. Side hustle? No. Come on, guys. Uh, 
shit. Why can't I think of the name? It's like um, two, two moonlighting. Syllables, moonlighting. Moonlighting. That's what it's called. Yeah, I mean, and I was literally moonlighting because this was a Singaporean company, so I was on Skype at like eleven p.m. <laughs> uh, See, but 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 no, but it's true because if one, if you're unhappy with your career and you want different experience, your only option is either to create that experience yourself on the side, yep. or like jump ship and hope that the next job is perfect, which is a silly, I think, approach to a career. I mean, it, but it's all, it, it, sometimes people think that's the only option you have, but really you can pretty much create the experience you want. You just have to think it a little creative and a little ballsy about how you do that on your own. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, so let's go, let's talk about uh, the Empowered Dollar, if you don't mind. Yeah. That's your website. And that started, it is. You started, <laughs> you started that when you were still working? Yeah, so I was still I was working at the nonprofit, and um, I started it uh, as a blog for moms to make sure their teenagers didn't get into student loan debt. So I was essentially a mommy blogger who was not a mom, hmm. and uh, that <laughs> <Poser>. lasted. <laughs> oh man, it was so miserable to write on that on my own website. It was <laughs> um, so that changed quickly. Um, I realized I hated writing for it and um, I wasn't friends with any moms and no one was reading it. So I shifted it over to kind of the millennial audience, basically writing for me and my friends and chronicling my student debt story. Um, so I did, that was pretty much my focus for about a year. Right. Um, and, then af- and then after that, it, you know, again, after paying off my student loans, I think I was left wondering, well, what is it that I want to help people? How do I want to help people with their money if I don't have this story anymore of paying off my debt? Um, and that's actually when I started adding comics to the blog and drawing my own comics just to, I think, bring a little humor and creativity to a world that can be so boring. And um, yeah, and I started doing the comics about a year ago. And were you always an artist, or did did you become one? Uh, So, yeah, growing up, I think what my dream job as like a five year old was to be a cartoonist. Hmm. Um, And but I slowly lost that over the years. I think I thought it was an impractical job. I was a smart. I was a smart kid. I got straight A's in high school, um, and all of the artists around me were like stoner kids who didn't like school. And so I I was like, oh, well, I guess I should not do art as a career. And then, you know, ended up going to college and majoring in music for six months. Um, So, so yeah, I think from an early age, like I I was cartooning and drawing and doodling, but it took me until very recently this last year to realize I could actually apply it in a really interesting way into the work I was already doing. It's interesting because it took you to get out of your nine to five slog to really embrace what you've always wanted to do. Yeah. And with, combine it with personal finance too, like to, to have that career path and then be like, Oh, actually this makes sense yeah. to be a cartoonist about money. Yeah, it's really bizarre. <laughs> yeah. So what's next for, for you and the Empowered Dollar and what's going on? Oh, what's next? Um, more comics. Uh, and I think for me, I'm really focused in the next year on writing and illustrating 
you know, a children's book, probably a children's book for adults. Um, about personal I'll, I'll finance. See what that, nah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I have so many other interests and, um, we'll see if it's about personal finance. It may be, maybe I'll do two. Maybe I'll do one about money and one about just like hilarious, you know, things for adults. Right. But, um, yeah, we'll see. And uh, just so before you go, because I think uh, everything you've said has been really just your personal story is is inspiring. Uh, and I, I do you have any do you have any like pieces of advice you want people to walk away from this with? Hmm. I would say the one piece of advice I would give is that if if you want to change something, you can change it. And you, I think you have more control over the things that you feel like are out of your control than you think you do. And, and so like, for me, that was negotiation. That was creating my own career path and working on the side. Um, and, and that was, you know, being stuck with $30,000 in student loans and deciding to really change that aggressively. So I would just, I think, challenge what's in front of you. If you don't, excuse me, if you don't like it, you can change it if you really, really want to. Uh, so it's empowereddollar.com. Yep. That's right. And, uh, you, are you on social media anywhere? Yep. Uh, empowered dollar. It's my Twitter handle and, uh, facebook.com slash empowered dollar. Excellent. Thank you so much again for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, guys, if you have any questions, uh, you can go to, uh, or you can email us at listenmoneymatters at gmail.com. And uh, if you like the show, please subscribe and hear more interviews uh, from all different kinds of people and people like Stephanie who are super inspiring and and uh, just me and Andrew jibber-jabbering about whatever. What do we do? What do we talk about mostly? Beer. And, I would uh, say not inspiring stuff. No, just it's bullshit, cool. really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So subscribe to the podcast because we do one every single day. Have it drop into your uh, whatever app device you use. Uh, do it through iTunes or Stitcher or whatever. And uh, if you guys really like the show, like you, you already subscribed, you're like, I love these dudes. Uh, I want to give them more stuff. And we, of course, want to give you more stuff. So leave a review for us on iTunes or Stitcher. I think of the only two places you can leave reviews. And I want to read a review from iTunes. Uh, which is, it's a short one, and the uh, user is, worth is greater than my looks. And it's it's worth with a greater sign, my looks. And it's a uh, new listener, five stars. Just started listening due to an article I read on Ready for Zero. The hosts are entertaining and not dry and dull like other financial podcasts. I have a long work commute, so this is definitely going to be on my morning playlist. Thank you so much. Worth is greater than my looks. I appreciate that. And so does Andrew, I'm sure, right? Yeah, you, of course. Okay. I, I, I live for the gratitude, I man. live for the gratitude. Gratitude is a form of currency, is it not? Yeah, that's right. All right. So, Whose idea was that? I don't know. Some asshole. <laughs> uh, go to, go, go to listenmoneymatters.com and visit our toolbox, which is found at listenmoneymatters.com slash toolbox. Uh, and Stephanie, thank you so much again for being on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks again, guys, for hanging out with us, and we look forward to the next episode. But later. Later, man. Please tell your friends about this show. (laughs) 